Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me today is our boomer friend from across the pond, Gary Leland, who is the organizer of the Bit Block Boom Conference, which happens each year around August time in Dallas. Never been? Want to go? Like many of the Euro plebs do. Gary was part of a book sprint with Jimmy Song, and this is what we are going to talk about towards the end of this show, because the first half of it, I would say, is unpacking Gary's incredible life so far. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Before we get into the interview, I would like to tell you plebs about a few of the show sponsors. If you are in the US, you can stack sats with swanbitcoin.com. Use forward slash bitten and that will kick you off with $10. Across Europe, you have a few options now. You can use coincorner.com. They are an exchange. Hit the link in the show notes. That is across Europe and the UK. If you hit the link, you will get a free £10 or euros after your first £100 or euro conversion. You can use Relay, which is an app, relay.ch forward slash bitten. You can DCA with Relay, very much like the Swan product out of the US. Now, if you're a little bit more sophisticated and you want to drop 50 grand straight into Bitcoin, or you've orange-pilled some boomers maybe, use Bitcoin Reserve forward slash ref forward slash bitten. These guys have you covered. Out of the UK and across Europe, there is a white glove service. They're going to hold your hand or your boomer friend's hands. Whoever you are orange-pilling, you're in a very good spot with these guys. Make sure you take control of your coins. Use the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet, Bitcoin only edition. You can go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten for a 5% discount. And let's hope we can all get to the Bitcoin conference in Miami, April 6th to 9th, 2022. If you use the code bitten at checkout or hit the link in the show notes, you'll get a 10% discount on all of your tickets from general admission up to whale pass. Enjoy this episode with Gary. All right, guys, welcoming to the show, Gary Leland, the uh, organizer of Bit Block Boom for all of the plebs that have been out there and have loved their time out there. Uh, or for those that haven't been out there, like myself, can't wait to get out there one day, Gary. I've been hearing great things about it. Uh, I've watched the YouTube videos uh, from the last conference. It looks like uh, amazing fun. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we had a really good time. I think I got one or two more of those to upload. But uh, yeah, we've having a good time. Our fifth year's coming up, which will be our our best year yet, I guess. Do you have any questions, Lauren? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, one second. You have the mic. Uh. So yeah. Uh. Why did you write? Uh. So yeah, I had you wrote a book. So why did you write a book? Um. Well, I've written nineteen books actually. Um, but the newest one was about Bitcoin. I guess that's the one you're talking about, the new Bitcoin book that I wrote. Yeah. Um, eight of us got together and all met at a 
house in Austin and lived in this one house, eight of us for six days and wrote a book in six days about Bitcoin for um, the Washington DC crowd, I guess, for congressmen and senators and their staffers to try to tell them the truth about Bitcoin. So if they have been hearing FUD or anything that's not true, maybe we can straighten out a few of them. I don't know how well it'll work, but that's the plan is to give it to people in government so they have uh, our perspective on Bitcoin. And we had, I guess we had about four liberals and four conservatives that got together. So we represented both sides and both sides had to agree on every paragraph in the book, one paragraph at a time. So it was a tedious process getting everybody to agree on every single paragraph. In only six days, how much stress was that? <laughs> it wasn't really a lot of stress, but it was a lot of long hours. We would start at nine in the morning. And I think like the last day we didn't get through until 3.30 at night. So it was long hours, if nothing else. Fortunately, a few of us were used to short amounts of sleep. Um, I usually get up at 4.30, but if you go to bed at 3.30, you might sleep till 6.30, you know, so it wasn't, I, I, maybe some of the people were stressed. So I won't say it wasn't a lot of stress. For me, it wasn't a lot of stress. It was um, just a lot of time involved. It was a, a immense amount of time. Uh, yeah, I, I really didn't know what I was getting into when I volunteered to do it. I'm glad I did, but it was a lot of time. Right, okay. Anything else? Uh, Ask away. This is your chance. Um, what's bit block bomb? Boom. Boom. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's it's a, a Bitcoin conference I do in Texas every year, and uh, this will be our fifth year. And it's just for people who like Bitcoin, nothing else, no blockchain, no other kind of coins. You'll be kicked out if you start talking about other things. So it's just for Bitcoin only. Right. Texas Smash should really go there. Texas Slim. That's, oh Is my it? gosh. Why do I keep saying Texas Smash? It's, I, don't know. I don't know. It just goes all the time. Yeah. Texas Slim. Yeah, at, Texas at Modern T Man. I, I don't uh, know if Uncle you. Slim. Uncle know. Slim. Uncle Slim. <laughs> Modern T Man. Yeah. I'm sure he, he will be at the next one if he wasn't at the uh, the previous ones. We have so. a big crowd. You know, our, our, crowd is, our crowd from Europe was actually. Not right before COVID hit, the year before COVID hit, we had more people from Europe attending the conference than we did from Texas. But that definitely slid off since then. And most of the people who slid off had already paid for their tickets for the next year. And they've just been going, just keep my ticket. I'll be there the next year. <laughs> keep my ticket. I'll be there the next year. And last year, we started having Europeans come back. So hopefully this year, Hopefully, it's opened up enough that everybody can come back. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great to get out there, huh? Visit Texas. Yeah. Go watch some uh, rodeo. Visit, visit yeah. uh, Uncle Slam. Visit yep. Preston. There's loads of people over there in Texas that we've spoken to before. Visit Parker. People. <laughs> yeah. Parker Lewis. Yeah, Parker's there. Yeah, Parker's uh, been involved with uh, Bit Block Boom almost since the start. Yeah, they're big supporters of ours. And you've interviewed him twice, although I know you don't, you're unable to 
remember everybody. But you asked him what a hedge fund was. Parker fears your questions more than anybody else. <laughs> he's going to run for mayor and he's going to still remember the day that he had to face you down on a few of your uh, Bitcoin questions. <laughs> I can't remember where we were at. I think the F1 races with Parker, uh, maybe two months ago, and I know, and the bus on the way to the S1 rush, right? The traffic is so bad to get to the F1 races. It takes like an hour and a half to two hours. So we rented a big party bus to just sit in there and have a good time on the way there. So no one had to drive or worry about the traffic. And I think it was in the bus, everybody started chanting, Mayor Parker, Mayor Lewis, Mayor Lewis. So. <laughs> We'll see we, how that goes. I, I swear he's going to be memed into that position. It's just there, there's no there's no stopping it now. <laughs> no, no. He's going to be forced into doing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Do you have any further questions? Um, no. No? No. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Nice okay. meeting you. Bye. Nice meeting you too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Well, that was quick and sweet. How old is she? Uh, 10. Yeah, 10. Yeah, coming up to uh, to be 11. But uh, she's been part of the show now for, what have we done? About 220 episodes. So she's been on around 210 of them, I would say, maybe even more. But that's a good age, 10. Mine are 35 and 34. So 10's yeah. a good age. <laughs> yeah. There's some time between us. But we've got, uh, we've got lots to be talking about. I've got a lot of questions for you. But I, I had, like no idea excuse me for not knowing but you, you said you'd written 19 books or 18 books yes already? 19. what yeah, about um, what, what what's the well i'd, I'd say you know, let me rephrase that i i've published 19. some of them were compilations of things i put together with people helping them helping me so I, it's like this book i've done with jimmy and there's eight of us i really didn't write that book you know but i was involved in that book so i i wouldn't say i've written all 19 just in all honesty but um whenever i get into something i i seem to during my life shift from one um kind of business to another i like to i think i grow businesses and get bored with them and move on to the next one so whatever i'm into i end up writing books about i think my first one was about podcasting because I started podcasting back in 2004, I was probably one of the first 50 or 100 podcasters, you know, on the planet, and started the first one of the first podcasting conferences and one of the first podcasting before Apple had uh, iTunes. I had a podcast directory, you know, where people came to find their podcast. So I written a book about podcasting, and then I was in the uh, some about marketing, social media marketing. Uh, quite a few about softball because my main business for 20 years was girls fast pitch softball. Um, so quite a few of them in that genre. Um, then the, you know, most of them are in that genre. Then, so that's it. Sports, podcasting, social media, just whatever I'm into. Um, I just sit down and put them together. I think one of them was, uh, I got, uh, maybe 30 i've been this long i don't know what they all are i got copies of them all around here somewhere they're all on uh amazon or whatever but i got 30 high level uh, olympians and college coaches to all write a chapter on uh, a great uh drills and things like that you know i think i've got 100 great softball catching drills 100 great hitting drills 100 great that i did 100 great pitching drills 
you know, some of them are good books, and, but none of them are really good books. You know, to be honest with you, they're all, all pretty crappy little books. Um, <laughs> no, this no, this no. is probably the best one I've ever done is one I've done with Jimmy and everyone, but they're all crappy little books. Um, but, you know, I use books to market my products. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my books weren't very expensive. And inside the book, uh, I had about uh, 30 or 40 websites at one time, e-commerce sites. So I would promote all those in my book and the um, list of uh helpful websites would be all my websites you know so i always wrote books as a to help market my products you know just like i did podcasts to help market my products you know so now it's first time probably i'm not doing that anymore but i am writing books about things i'm interested in you know which is bitcoin so yeah absolutely so clearly the entrepreneurial spirit just ran deep in your veins did you once you left school did you ever have a uh, is my sound okay i'm getting some feedback i can hear you i can hear you okay. fine yeah so so once you'd left um school or university college w- was that just a straight line for you like entrepreneurship i'm never going to work for anyone or was there something in between no no i worked for um people i worked for actually when i got out of school i worked for cable tv Mm-hmm. Uh, we would, it was brand new and we would go to new markets that cable TV was entering. That's how I got to Texas. What, what would, year uh, is this, Gary? This is 1978, maybe. Wow. Uh, 77, 78. But we would, we would go from town to town across the country, uh, teaching people how to go door to door, signing up people with cable TV subscriptions. And we'd be in each town about three months. And then we go to another town and set up a crew and uh, teach them how. And cable TV companies would hire us to come in and train their people how to go door to door, basically. And so I was pretty good at going door to door. And I came to Dallas and I ended up staying here. And then I got a job with a company called Canteen Food and Vending Service. We would call them big corporations like uh, General Motors was a client of mine. We would call on places that did. They had a, they had a vending machine side but they had a food service side where we would come in and they had a cafeteria that they fed their employees at and we would come in and operate their cafeteria for them um i did and i was just a sales rep that would try to get that business i call in hospitals and things like that and they still were going to lose money you know on feeding their employees but if they let us run it for them for a fee they lost less money because we were supposed to be pretty good at running uh, food, food service. And it was a national company. So I worked for them for a few years and, uh, married my wife and uh, she was a school teacher and we did, we, I did real good there. You know, I had, you know, the car, the 401k, the typical things. Uh, I think the year I quit, it was January the 30th and I'd already met my quota for the year. Uh, Cause I signed a big hospital, like on January the 4th and it was big enough to be my whole quota. So I could have just screwed off all year. Yeah, for the most part, and uh, if you wanted to screw off, but uh, I had started selling. It sounds crazy, but I had started selling mini blinds. My wife and I did mini uh, blinds. Th- yeah, blinds that go in your windows, like okay. Venetian blinds, but they were like one inch wide. Back then, those were brand new, and I was an old door to door salesman basically. So on weekends, uh, we would go driving through brand new neighborhoods that were just built. And look for sheets on people's windows because if they had sheets, that meant they just moved in and they didn't have any blinds yet. And we just knock on their door and see if they needed blinds. And we go in and we were just cleaning up. I mean, oh my gosh, 
we go out on Saturday and Sunday and make thousands of dollars just on part time. I mean, we were renting limos, flying to Europe. We were young kids. We were like 30. And we were just like thinking it was never going to end. And I said, Kathy, you need to quit work and do this full time. And because I had the bigger check and the, the bigger benefits. And she was like, no, I'm a school teacher. I'm real conservative. I can't take that chance. I said, well, hell, I'm quitting. So like I said, I had already met my quota for the year, but I quit anyway and started doing it full time because if we did it on weekends, I figured if I did it full time, I was bound to make 50% more. And that really started my uh, entrepreneur. I never went to work for anyone else ever again after that. Um, while, while many blinds did turn out to be a profitable thing for a short period of time, right. then, uh, Home Depots and Lowe's and stores started carrying them and killed the business. But until then, I probably one time did more. My sales crew in Dallas Fort Worth probably did more mini blinds than anybody in the state of Texas. I mean, I had people from China contacting me, wanting me to buy theirs and bring in containers. So we were doing quite a bit of business, but I couldn't compete against Home Depot and Lowe's and the big box stores. Are there, is this still a thing, door-to-door sales? Or is this now just been completely wiped out by the internet? And, you know, we, we were talking about that the other day, my wife and I. I think, it, I think it's pretty much... We didn't even think about the internet, but we thought it had been wiped out by security uh, concerns. And cities now probably make you have a permit or a license to go door to door, especially during COVID. Could you imagine knocking on someone's door <laughs> during COVID and go, hi, can, can I come with a mask on? I guess. Can I come in your house and just you don't know who I am or if I got COVID or not, but I want to come in and talk to you about selling you something? That must really be, it's a really good point. I think that must really be a dying business. I used to love door-to-door sales. I met so many people. I mean, I'm so outgoing that I was, I think some people are intimidated and they just can't handle the pressure of going door-to-door sales. But my wife and I both were like, we're, we're so outgoing that we loved it. I met so many people would invite us to go scuba diving and we made so many friends and stuff. It was great. I mean, it really was great. Uh, we had a good time and it was very profitable business back in the day, but yeah, once I got used to doing that, I think I got to the point that I wouldn't be a good employee for anyone else because, you know, I was just, I always thought I was the smartest person at the office anyway, you know, so I was always bitching about how stupid they were when I got back because they didn't do things the right thing to my wife. So I probably wouldn't be any good to anyone as an employee. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I'm thinking about like the the younger guys listening to this. I mean, there's an age difference between you and I. I'm I'm mid forties at the moment, but I do I'm remember sixty seven. Right, I do remember, you know, and I grew up in the UK, and I do remember door to door salesmen coming around. Um, God knows what they were selling; could have been absolutely anything. Uh, I wonder now how many millennials have even, I mean, Zoomers perhaps not even at all ever, you know, might be wondering what the hell are we talking about? Yeah, uh, but basically. That's true. You, you would find a product or you were hired to, find, uh, to sell a product uh, and, and literally go walking around the streets, different uh, neighborhoods uh, and go door to door, knocking on the doors and That's hoping right. someone answered it, right? Yeah, and, and I remember back in the cable TV days, oh, it was so much fun. Me and this guy did it together. We just had a blast. We would ride and we both have our uh, streets assigned to us, you know, because a cable would come into a new area, kind of like all the streets should be given like, Here's your five streets, Gary. Here's your five streets, Tone. Uh, here's your five streets, Janet. And we, me and this guy, we would do our streets together. We just had to, he'd take one side, I'd take the other side. We'd just have a blast. And uh, 
but then one time, sometimes you'd get an apartment complex. Okay. Right. And uh, <laughs> that was fun. Cause if you got an apartment complex, those people were more, uh, did more traveling or maybe they were from another part of the country where they had cable TV. Okay. So where, if you went to an old people's neighborhood, they didn't want anything to do with you. I only had four channels my whole life. I only need four channels, you know, but if you went into an apartment complex, especially one time we did an air base and those people traveled everywhere. And I remember one time I was just going up, there would be four, four doors on the porch, two in front of me on each side. I'd knock on all four doors <laughs> one time, give my spill to all four of them because they all were going to buy it. All you had to do was say, I'm with cable TV. I'm here to sign you up. It's 1995. And they were like, and any money, we were like, I mean, people were buying cars after a month's pay. We were making enough to buy cars. That's the way people were signing up. So it was fun at times. It was always fun unless you went through uh, no folks neighborhood who they just were all cranky someone like me we'd just be cranky to them you know now i'm the old folk so i guess if they came by here i'd be cranky to them going on i've always had 100 200 channels i only need 200 channels what would what was the what was the the key to door-to-door sales for you like what, what um well one of the keys was always find the ugliest thing in their room and tell them oh that's i like that tell me about that because if they had this thing in their room that was that damn ugly it must have a hell of a story and they must think it's wonderful and so if you could find that thing and say wow look at that thing over there tell me about that they oh they were so excited someone asked that you were their friend by the time they got through explaining about the ugly thing whatever it was because i mean so many people have something ugly in there that you go what the hell was that so if you were lucky enough to find that thing, you really could open them up real easy. Because that's the thing is to get a conversation going. Most people mm-hmm. by nature are pretty nice. I mean, they're not all jerks. Maybe they are defensive when someone's coming by because they're scared to go to buy something they don't want. But uh, most of the things I've ever sold door to door, people actually wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I left, they were thanking me, you know, going, gosh, thanks for coming by. I, I didn't know when I was going to get this or where I was going to get this at. You know, so I felt like I was providing more of a service to get them something they were going to buy anyway, uh, compared to the uh, vacuum cleaner salesman, right? You know, who's coming by. Yeah, they probably already got a vacuum cleaner, and his vacuum cleaner is probably four times higher than anyone else's vacuum cleaner. You know, so, I enjoyed door to door sales. I did that a long time. We we got uh, that. That's yeah. We we got sold down the river by a vacuum cleaner guy. Actually, when we were in Singapore, he came around. Uh, it would, he knew exactly what he was doing somehow. Uh, he probably saw the baby seats in the car or something when, but like, you know, so he knocks on the door, he knows my wife's there and, uh, just started giving the whole spiel. This vacuum gets as many dust mites out of, you know, it's better for the baby and better for this and da 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 da. And so of course he was invited back around when I was at home and, um, then they, they do that patch test, right? It just shows you how much shit is on your mattress and all of this. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I bought a vacuum cleaner from a guy and my wife was like, oh, I really want this. Man, this vacuum cleaner is really just heavier than hell. It's not really yeah. that great of a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Oh, no, we got to have this. So she was sold and we got that vacuum cleaner. I think now up in the attic somewhere 30 years later. You know, the other thing, I worked for a short amount of time for a storm window company going door to door. And uh, that was uh, quite an experience because their training was so good. I had never known much of the 
uh, training behind door-to-door sales. I just always was a conversationalist. So I just always talked to people, but there I really learned uh, to be, I guess I was always a salesman before I learned to be a closer because there's a difference between a salesman and a closer. And when you got through with them, uh, working for them, I mean, they had nowhere to go but buy because you basically would close all the doors that were no's. You know, you would ask them questions that uh, up front that seemed, oh, there was no reason to ask these questions and they would agree with it. And then when it was the end, uh, three hours later, <laughs> and you were uh, uh, closing them and if they brought something up, you go, wait a second. You know, five minutes after I got here, you told me that you would never buy anything like that if the option was they'd buy it somewhere else, you know, or things. But uh, yeah, you closed a lot of doors is, is why I guess it's called a closer because they got no doors to go out of. The only door they can go out of is yours to buy it. So that was quite a training experience, though, working for that company um, on actual not being a salesman, being a closer because I didn't know there was a difference. Mm. I didn't even know the term closer. Now I recognize when people come over to try to, if my wife calls someone up to come show us something at home, I'm going, oh, please don't start closing me already. You've only been here one minute, you know? So um, and actually I get kind of confrontational about being closed now. Yeah. I'm the same as you. I'm the same as you now because I, I kind of went through uh, a little bit of that. You know, I, I, I was always in, well, it's not sales. I was in foreign exchange. Uh, so, you know, I was in brokerage. Uh, so, you know, you, of course, always trying to, to close the deal. But um, I, I spent a, a small amount of time at a uh, recruitment company and they have this hard sell, hard close kind of thing. And, you know, you go through the training and it, it was just like, hmm, this isn't great what you guys are doing. And yeah, you yeah. can see a closer. I agree with you. There's such a huge difference between a salesman and a closer. And you can see a closer coming a mile away. And whenever I see them now, I, I, I enjoy having fun with them because that I close down as soon as I see the closer. Yeah, same uh, you know, thing here. Same thing here. As soon as I realize they're closing me instead of uh, selling me, I don't mind someone selling me. Hmm. Um, I just don't like anyone trying to close me because I'm not going to answer the questions, first of all, with the question they want. I'm going to say, oh, another closing question. I mean, you know, after a while, they kind of, give up on you but uh that was a pretty good experience and a good training i don't think you can hear that my house they're remodeling my house downstairs so if you hear any background noise, storm windows no 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 oh my god I, I remember one time we our pitch would take three to four hours and i remember one time i'd been there like maybe two two and a half hours I said hey we gotta eat dinner and i said what are we so I got I got another hour to go here. And they go, oh, we're having spaghetti. So I joined them for dinner and ate spaghetti with them. And uh, I remember at one time a sales rep came out the front door and the guy, I don't know what he did to piss that guy off. The guy ran out the back door with a baseball bat and bent about front and beat the hell out of him. So I guess oh. he was a little too pushy. <laughs> that guy was pissed. That guy was upset. It wasn't me. I wasn't that pushy. That's nuts. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, where's that? Like, yeah, a three-hour pitch. <laughs> and a three hours could be short i actually i actually if you're if you're good at door-to-door sales and you're outside at least ways in this part of the world I, mean, I doubt it's this way anymore but at the time in the early 80s you'd have your pitch man that worked for you and you just sat in your car because there's 100 degrees outside in texas and the pitch man 
went down the street knocking on the doors for you. And he'd be like, his job was to get you into a house. That's all he did do was get you into the house. Cause if you were a good closer, you got in the house and you were fresh, you weren't soaking wet, you know, you had your coat and tie on and everything. You would just wonder what you, and you didn't want to hear all these no's and be all negged out. I got 30 no's in a row and now I got to go in and be pumped up. And you just be sitting in the car and he'd come knocking the windows. Okay. I got you in a house. And then he'd just sit in the car while you were in the house for three or four hours and he'd get paid a percentage of the sale. You know, that was his job. So you had to be a good salesperson or a good closer to afford. If you're not making any sales. You're not going to keep that front man very long, you know? So uh, that was an interesting concept also. And it was a lot easier. We didn't have to go down the street, knock it on the doors. You could just sit in your car in the AC and wait for someone to get you in the house. Sometimes they didn't know why you were coming in the house until you got in the house. His job was just to get you in there. How on earth then did you go from that to, what did you say, softball, well, podcasting? You must have been so early on podcasting. Uh, well, I had, to, um, I had a wallpaper business that uh, we turned the mini blind business because mini blind was the door to door sales also. And then I got tired of going door to door. I didn't want to have to depend on that my whole life. I kind of saw, and the blinds were disappearing. So we opened up a decorating store and had wallpaper. I, it ended up being the largest wallpaper store in Texas. And, and then podcasting, I saw a small clip about it. Said, hey, there's something new is being created called podcasting. Uh, could be a good marketing opportunity. So I said, hell, I don't know what this podcasting is. Let's figure it out and start advertising on it. And so we started our first podcast to start a podcast. By then we had started doing the sports to do sports podcasting and podcasting about our store. But I had two daughters that played softball, fast pitch softball. So I'm kind of telling this out of order. I started the wallpaper website uh, in 96 Everybody told me I was kind of an idiot to do that. No one would buy stuff on the internet. And I said, well, I would buy stuff on the internet, so I'm going to do it anyway. And it turned out to be really profitable. Uh, but then four years later, my daughters played softball, and I wanted to get softball equipment at a cheaper price. So I thought if I started a, a, wallpaper, a, a website that sold girls' fast-pitch softball, I could get accounts with manufacturers and buy equipment cheaper uh, for my players and everything. And um, so I started building in. It's funny when you, if you bought something on this website and you checked out, you went to the Leland's wallpaper checkout page to pay for it. Cause I didn't want to build another shopping cart. Cause that was kind of hard to do. You couldn't buy, you know, a shopping cart back then. And so, um, but that took off like no tomorrow. I mean, we were working on it one month. I had a bunch of high school kids that would come in and work on the wallpaper website every day. Cause we'd have to take a scanner, scan pictures of the wallpaper because the suppliers didn't even have JPEGs or anything to send us. And then we would build a product. And I said, hey, I looked and we made four or $5,000 one month. I really wasn't planning on making anything. That's why I really never built a shopping cart. I said, guys, everybody, we're just going to work on this softball website from now on. I just take a break from the wallpaper website. And then like, these wouldn't be the real numbers, but it was something like the next month we did 10,000, the next month we did 20,000, next month we did 40,000. I mean, it kept doubling and doubling and doubling. And people were calling me on the phone uh, going, oh my gosh, I've never seen a website like this. This is the best website I've ever seen in my life. This is great. And when you get those kind of phone calls all the time from people, I'm going to tell everyone I know. Because it turned out I didn't even know when I was making a website 
there weren't any websites dedicated to girls fastening softball. I was the first again to do something. They either bought from baseball websites or men's slow pitch softball websites, but there were no girls fast pitch websites. And so it took off overnight. And I was, uh, this sounds crazy, but I was the person to introduce pink to softball. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one really did softball stuff. So uh, I started making, I started going to all the national companies and having them make stuff just for me. You know, like I had uh, Mizuno Sporting Goods would make black and pink softball gloves and catcher's mitts for me. And I had Louisville Slugger making backpacks and bags for me that black and pink. And all these people were making stuff. Uh, Mizuno made black and pink cleats for me. And I was the only person that had this. I had a full line of pink and black girl softball equipment. And it was like selling like no tomorrow because when you're the only person in the country selling black and pink stuff for girls, sports, you're going to sell a lot of it. I sold so much, they all decided they needed to start adding it to their catalogs, their wholesale catalogs. And I was like, oh, come on, man. I'm the guy who's been doing this. And then everybody in the country had black and pink, and there wasn't enough black and pink for anyone to make a ton of money off black and pink. So that was a nice bubble while it lasted, but uh, they kind of like killed my idea and gave it to everybody else. So softball was very good to me. I Actually, I just stopped that business. I started that in... 20, uh, 2000 and I shut it down uh, this July and my wallpaper store this July. I shut everything down this July just to focus on um, Bitcoin full time. Wow. Just yeah. it, it's so crazy hearing these old stories. I love it. But if, if we take you back to before WTF happened in 1971, there's not many of us that can even remember those days. You'd have obviously been a young man growing up, formative years. Can you give us a picture? I've been in high school. I was in high school right. in 71. I was in 10th grade. So do you remember then, well, you must remember growing up like uh, as a young man, seeing your father and your mother, I, I'm, I'm guessing traditional kind of um, home, perhaps mom was home, dad was out at work. You know, this is all kind of pre like huge divorce rates and, and whatever else. Uh, yeah, I remember. I mean, I remember quite a bit. It's, it's just about what subject you're talking about. I, I mean, nobody... I grew up on, um, well, when I was real young, we grew up, we rented the downstairs floor of a house in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. It's kind of a historic district. But I think my grandparents helped my parents out uh, when I was like in third grade and we moved to a house. Um, so we had our own house. Um, it wasn't a great house, but it was a nice house. I mean, and so I grew up there and nobody on our street, we had a pretty long street. Maybe the neighborhood had... 80 homes in it. And I didn't know anyone whose parents had gotten a divorce. I mean, mm -hmm. at all. I mean, none of my friends had parents that had a divorce or had remarried. So that was not very common at all, needless to say. You know, I remember in like third grade, I think uh, when silver, when quarters started having the gold strip in the middle, you know, they used to be all silver till then. And they all had gold strips in the center. I mean, car copper, you know, in the center. You know, I, I remember um, my parents taught my dad was a welder and my mom was a secretary. So they both did work out of the house. Um, but I remember when them talking about uh, even they knew that uh, taking the dollar off the gold was not a very good thing to do. Because I remember them talking about that. We watched the news every night. Right. We came home, messed around 530. We ate home, ate dinner and the news, national news was on TV. So they did have the news on every night. 
I remember the Vietnam War was on there all the time and they would have a tally every day. Today's wouldn't be like this, but basically today's deaths, Americans, 102, Vietnamese, 1,800. I mean, it was some My numbers goodness. out of the world that, I mean, like we were wiping them all out. I'm surprised there were any left to fight us. We were killing them at such high frequency, according to the news. But that was on every day. Um, so I remember quite a bit about that from when I was young. That's uh, it's so difficult for people to like uh, grasp inflation now. And I know there's a lot of memes and whatever else. A lot of people talk about, oh, well, when, uh, you know, like uh, a stick of gum was a penny or whatever else. But you two actually had that for, in your Two hand. pieces for a penny. Well, there, the you pen go. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. You, you're the bridge between like uh, the Zoomers that are like, you know, perhaps thinking this is all just legend and myth and whatever else. But you're like, but, no, you lived it. This is. But uh, it's not. It's not. Um. You know, a lot of stuff like this happens and it's not like it's the first time it's happened because I remember my dad, um, you know, he, I would go a, a candy bar was a nickel. OK, and you get a good size. It's a good size candy bar. Um, not as big as they are now. Candy bars are huge now, but they're two dollars to two fifty or something now. But my dad would always go, oh, yeah, I'll get a candy bar for a nickel when I was a kid. They were three times that size. So they already had shrinkflation going, mm -hmm. you know, at that time, because he was bitching about that. Um, you know, but I, um, not like it's now, you know, so maybe the candy bar cut in half, but if you take that candy bar, it was a nickel when I was a kid. Now, maybe it's double the size, but it's 20 times the price. You know, so it just is, it's like on steroids now, you know. The thing that I always use is a number that, I don't know why I use this as a numbers, Cokes, sodas. When I was a kid, you could put a penny in a nickel in this machine and get a soda out of the machine. Six cents for a bottle. Uh, the small Coca-Colas, not the big 16 ounce, but it'd be like 12 ounce Cokes, those small ones. You can get that for six cents. Now, Coke is what, $2, $3 or something? I mean, it's pretty high in the, in the 7-Elevens or even in the machines. And it's a can, which holds about as much as that bottle did, a small bottle. So if you take that six cent and multiply it out, how many times higher it is, and then take that $2 and multiply that out, you know, I mean, you're gonna be paying a hundred bucks for a soda in 30 <laughs> years. I mean, we're listening and probably more because we didn't get off the gold here in the US until 71. So the first 16, 15 years of my life, we were taught, we were pegged to something where, the next 30 years, it's not pegged to anything. So you don't have that first 15 years of being not pegged, you know, of being pegged to something. So yeah, go, Coke will probably be 250, you know, $250. It's, uh, I don't know, it's just amazing to me when I go out. And when you get old, this is something that's really weird too. When, and this happened to my dad and we laughed at it when it happened to him. You go out to eat somewhere and someone is, you'll see the price on something, you'll be like in sticker shop. You'll mm -hmm. be, how much is that? So we took my dad to get a hamburger one time. He came to visit us. And we went to a place to get a hamburger. And I remember hamburgers being five cents. So, so my dad must remember much cheaper. And we took him to eat hamburgers. I think this place was a fancy hamburger place. And it was like $5 maybe. It, it seems cheap now. But it's 5 or $6. And dad goes, oh, I'll pay for the hamburgers. And we were like, okay. And the guy goes, oh, that would be $22 for four hamburgers. And coaxes him. He goes, how much? And the guy said, 22 50 let's say he goes 
how much? <laughs> he must have said that three times because he just couldn't absorb the information. It, uh, he just couldn't absorb that four hamburgers could cost that much money because maybe at one point in his life, that was a whole week's paycheck, you know, uh, when he was a young man. So I do that a lot. I see things. I'm going, gosh, I just physically can't pay that much money for this. I mean, I just mentally, uh, I want something. I, go, I just mentally can't pay that much money for it. I know that's the going rate, but I just can't spend that much money on that. You know, it's not that I can't afford it. It's just, I just mentally can't do it. I mean, I just, like, in their mind, I'll take, uh, like the other night we went out to eat. Cheapest bottle of wine was like $350. And I, <laughs> yeah. And I was going, and now we were at a nice restaurant. Don't get me wrong. We were at a very nice restaurant, but still. I'm going, man, I just physically can't pay $350 for a bottle of wine. I mean, I don't know why I could spend $100 on the steak with no problem, but I couldn't spend the $350 on a bottle of wine. So um, I said, I'll take water. <laughs> I had water. You know? That's so. crazy. That is $350. My goodness. Yeah, it should be a nice restaurant. So I, I, I'm interested to know then how you've changed like uh, look at looking back you know how bitcoin has helped you kind of like piece all of this um life mystery together because what, what, what point did you uh come across bitcoin um 2000 mid 2017 before the big run-up mm -hmm. you know right or maybe the big run-up was just starting you know but um 2017 i ran i'd been introduced to it before uh when it was back like a hundred dollars, but I was introduced to it as being like online stocks. And that didn't interest me at all. I was like, okay, well, that, cause he's, Hey, I've heard about this Bitcoin thing. This friend of mine did uh, blah, blah, blah. And I said, what is that? I'm not familiar with it. Cause it's like online stocks. I said, I don't care. I don't care about that. You know, I've lost money every time I try to do online stock stuff. So I was going, I'm not, I'm not smart enough, Kate, evidently, to be able to handle that. But then I was speaking at a conference uh, one day and I was walking down the hall and I saw like four or five friends of mine all like in a circle talking. And one person was talking to the other four about Bitcoin. And I came on the middle of the conversation and he was explaining it as an Internet protocol. And since I was pretty involved in the Internet at that point in my life. I was interested. And when he got through, the other people just walked away. And I still don't think they're in the Bitcoin. Hmm. And I said, hey, Tony, could you explain to me what I missed on that? Because that sounds pretty interesting. We sat on the couch. It might have been 12. And we talked till 5 o'clock, sitting on the couch about Bitcoin. And that night, I drove home. And uh, since I was pretty involved in podcasts, first thing I did was find a podcast about Bitcoin and listen to it on the way home. And when I got home, I uh, texted him and said, hey, could we meet tomorrow and talk about Bitcoin? And he said, sure. So we met at the conference again, listened to the podcast on the way to the conference. And then he took me to his house. He was mining Zcash and converting that to Bitcoin. He had, uh, was doing it with a GPU. And so um, I bought some, when I got home that night, I put my first money in Bitcoin, bought Bitcoin and uh, started buying, uh, building computers to mine uh, um, Zcash with. And I was converting a thing I had, most people don't have my warehouse where I rented. I had two stores in the same shopping center, uh, my softball store and my wallpaper store. Right. And um, I had an empty space that I used as a warehouse, you know, for the stores and to keep extra inventory. And, and uh, the, this was an old shopping center and the landlord gave us free electricity. 
because um, <laughs> the electricity was all in one meter. And so I guess he said, I'll just, I'll just charge them all $100 more a month and that will cover their electrical costs. I don't know how he calculated it, but he didn't want to like come in and put in new meters and pay all that money. So I went into that warehouse space and I had like, gosh, I had like at one point, maybe 15 machines running. They both had like two 1080 TIs in them. Um, and it was like 150 degrees in there. And uh, we were just, so I had free electricity. So I was really recouping my money really fast uh, on my investment when you don't have any electrical costs. And I remember one day I was walking by and I saw the electrical company out back. I said, what, what's going on? Because I was going maybe carrying stuff to the dumpster. He goes, ah, oh, the landlord here is complaining. He thinks this meter's broke. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> so, so we came back. And cut off the electricity in there because electricity was running. I mean, the AC, I mean, cut it off because it was running 24-7. You know, the AC never cut off in the net place. We cut that off, and I think we uh, slowed down, the, uh, started doing the machines and shifts or something. You know, so, uh, but he never, I guess he, I guess that worked. He never complained again. So we mined that for quite a while. And then when I quit mining, I still sold all my graphic cards. And I told him they were used for mining. And people, there was such a shortage of graphic cards. I sold those about what I paid for them. So that and was this was fun. this was mining straight Bitcoin at the time. No, no, it was mining Zcash. Zcash, right? Okay. And we and were converting it to Bitcoin. It straight into Bitcoin. Yeah, but then I kind of got so that I only got involved with Bitcoin. I started even doing nothing but Bitcoin at all. I mean, I don't talk about shitcoins. I don't do shitcoins. I don't mess with the shitcoins anymore. But I did, uh, and, well, I, and I think that's a natural progression. I think people get into Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and when they first get into Bitcoin, they go, "Wow." If this Bitcoin went from a nickel to 3,000, 30,000, 60,000, wherever you're at when you get in, you're going, if I can get one of these other ones and it just goes to a penny or to a dime, I could make a ton of money. And I think that's a natural progression that people go through. Uh, so I don't give people a hard time that experiment next. I think that's natural. I did it. But I think there's a point in time that people learn or they should learn. And because um, when it dives, <laughs> and they lose all their money and all the other coins you know then they learn that they should have just stayed with bitcoin completely because yeah i had some of my zcash that i didn't have converted over that disappeared into nothing you know i still don't think it's back to where it was in 2017 you know so i can't but i don't you. know because i haven't looked at the price yeah, in forever exactly. so i don't know <laughs> man have you ever called the guy up that that pitched you bitcoin as um uh, stocks on the internet or internet for stocks, whatever, whatever like, and just said, uh, your, your pitch for Bitcoin needs to improve because if I've, it... I've given him a hard time because it's someone I know <laughs> real well. And I see him maybe three or four times a year. I'm like, man, do you know how much money you cost me? <laughs> well, you it, cost it, me a ton of money, dude. Being a pitch man yourself, right? You yeah. know, you, you see, uh, you, you see a bad pitch man straight away, but uh, again, that's a progressive, uh, a progressive thing, right? We, uh, those of us that have, you know, fallen down this rabbit hole generally go way too hard, way too early with the friends and family and just like, ah, you got to yeah. look at this thing and you, you ruin do. it. You do. You, you, you get uh, obsessed. You know, I, I do a big comparison. I think there's a big comparison between Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't know if y'all have Jehovah's Witnesses yes. there and Bitcoiners. I think there's such a comparison. <laughs> and the reason I say that is, you know, Jehovah Witnesses, I don't know if you know much about the religion, but they only believe a certain number of people can go to heaven. 
there's like a number, a definite number, like 150,000. I don't know the amount, so don't anyone get me for getting the number right. But they believe there's a certain amount of people that can go to heaven. And that's it. That's all that's getting in. The rest of them are going to stay here on the planet uh, living in paradise, but they're not going to heaven. And they all want to go to heaven, though. So and my friend, I have a friend who at like 55 converted uh, to Jehovah's Witness and told me all this. I said, Robert, you got no chance of hell of going to heaven. I mean, you don't. You've got Mother Teresa. You got the saints. You got the apostles. You got all these people ahead of you. There's no way you're passing any of those guys from the last 2,000 years. So you that's the Jehovah's Witnesses. So they're doing it because they really want to spread the good news. And that's where Bitcoiners are. Bitcoiners don't say, oh, I want you buying this Bitcoin and getting on it because you're going to help my Bitcoin. Because you're not. That's not going to make a, I mean, unless you're finding Michael Saylor, you know, now Eric, who helped Michael Saylor, might could have had that intention, which I don't think he did. So don't, I'm not saying that. But unless you find a Michael Saylor, you're not affecting the price of Bitcoin at all, no matter how many people you tell about Bitcoin. But you're doing it because you want to help them out. You want to tell them the good word and have them be better. And maybe as Jehovah Witnesses want them to like be on the paradise on earth because they know they can't go to heaven either. They aren't going to get them in heaven. They aren't going to find anyone who's the Michael Saylor of earth probably. They aren't even going to find the Michael Saylor, you know, so they're doing it for the same reason Bitcoiners are doing it. They want to help other people, not for personal gain or personal glory or personal deliverance to heaven so that's why i put a big comparison between bitcoiners and uh, jehovah's witnesses and i think newly hatched the newly orange pill bitcoiners they're just as much as and and they may not go down the street you know with their on their bicycles or walk down the street knocking on doors but boy do you give them a chance to open the door about it they won't shut up and you got and you got and you got their wives going okay we're going to this party tonight i don't want you talking about bitcoin you, how about if someone asked me, you can talk about it two minutes and that's it. So get it out quick. So my <laughs> wife still tells me that. I'm going, and I never just walk around bringing it up anymore. I'm really trying to be, because uh, you know what happens? Here's what happens. Inevitably, if you are a good salesperson, if you are confident and believe in it, you don't have to be a good salesperson. If you believe in something enough, if you are a good salesperson and you orange pill somebody and then it's like when it was $64,000, they buy it and they go, okay, I'm going to buy $10,000 worth. And then they put this money in there and then it starts dropping when it got wet, where from 40, from 64, I think it went down to 32, maybe, you know, before it stopped on that first uh, drop last year or earlier this year, I guess. And then they sell. Because they're going, oh, I'm going to lose all my money. I knew I shouldn't listen to Gary. He's nuts. Now I'm losing all my money. And they sell when it hits 40. Then it goes back up to 60 and they're pissed because they lost this money because they didn't hodl. You know, so I try not to really uh, talk people into buying Bitcoin or sell them anymore. If they do want to know something, I just try to get them to do some DCA with small amounts. I think you're way better off to convince people to start dollar cost averaging what they can afford than to say, hey, you need to get on this boat. It's going to disappear. You know, you, you, you know, FOMO, you should have FOMO because you're going to miss out because then you just cause a misery pain and they lose money normally because they don't know how to hodl. But if they've been dollar cost averaging what they can afford to do, then they aren't into it. So I got my friend who's a Jehovah's Witness. I told him, I said, Robert, I've known you since seventh grade, second grade. 
And I know you don't have any Bitcoin yet and you really need to get on the boat here. I feel I'm doing you a disservice if I don't tell you about this. And you need to start dollar cost averaging. Just buy yourself $10 worth. I try to start them out with a small amount every week just to get some skin in the game. And then he calls me two months later and goes, I bought $10,000 worth today. <laughs> and what? He goes, yeah, I, I think I got I bought $10,000 worth. Well, it was 64000 or 60000 today. He told me that. Then he called me two months later. It was twenty, no, 34000 35000 He goes, Gary, are you sure this was a good deal? I said, yeah, Robert. I haven't sold any, but I didn't tell you to buy $10,000 worth. Remember, I told you to buy $10 worth a week. And right now you'd be getting a while it's on sale, but instead you jumped ahead of the game. He jumped you didn't the get queue. To take advantage of it being on sale. Can yeah, you jump yeah, the queue as a Jehovah's yeah. Witness? And so, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So he uh, he's still hodling though, and it has gone. So he's more comfortable now with it though. But yeah, so I find you just quit trying to orange pill him into buying it. Trying to get him, trying to get him to buy a small amount, you know, but do it on a regular basis. Because if they don't do it on a regular basis, if they don't buy dollar cost averaging. On the other end of it, okay, let's say you talk them into buying $500 worth, not a large amount, but they get some skin in the game. Then they don't ever look at it again. And they don't buy anymore when it's going up because they don't look at it again. Okay, I'll buy that and they get you off shoulder and they never look at it. Because another friend I call goes, hey, how do you like that Bitcoin? What's happening? He goes, what's happening? I said, well, I thought you into buying some in 2017 and it was $60,000 at this point. He goes, oh yeah, how's it been doing? And he looked at it and goes, oh my gosh, I made a lot of money. But he never looked at it again. So he never he didn't know any more about Bitcoin in 2021 than he did 2017. He just knew he had made some money. And that's mm -hmm. not good either. It's nice he made some money, but really if he's making doing that DCA, he's gonna learn about it, you know, because he's gonna be getting emails. You bought ten dollars worth of Bitcoin, twenty dollars, hundred dollars, thousand dollars, whatever their budget is, you know, it's different for everybody. Some people a thousand dollars is like ten dollars, some people ten dollars is all they can afford, and some people that can afford a lot more. It's just way like this. But uh, I think personally, though, Bitcoin changes your whole outlook on life. It makes you start seeing things differently. It makes you start researching money, uh, which I never did before. So that's a plus for them, too, because by teaching them to learn Bitcoin or to be aware of Bitcoin, not only are you saying, hey, you're going to start getting this value by dollar cost averaging. So you're going to make this money, but you're actually going to start having an interest in things you didn't have an interest in before, which is money. You're going to learn what money is. You're going to learn many people, even people my age still go, well, money's back. They'll say, what's that back by that Bitcoin? And I say, well, what's money back by? And they go, gold? <laughs> go, dude, they been back by gold since we were in like 10th grade, dude. Oh, really? So they don't even know, you know, especially people born, you know, if you were born after 1971, you know, it's never been backed by gold in your entire lifetime. But most people don't know that. A lot of people think it is. So that is the biggest thing you can do by dollar cost averaging is cause them to start learning about Bitcoin, which causes them to learn what money is. And it changes their whole thinking and spending habits. You know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm driving my wife goes, you want to buy a new car? And I'm driving a 2006, it's a Mercedes, but it's an old Mercedes. Um, I go, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. If I go buy a new car, I'm just going to spend that on Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm not going to buy a new car. I mean, you know, so it changes your spending too. And you start saving 
even though you're not necessarily saving, you just realize you're throwing money away where you could take that same money and make a lot of money off of it by putting it into Bitcoin. Then it's a much better thing. And then, you know, we always tell our kids that we're going to piss away all the money we have. We're not going to give them anything. We've told them that since they were 10. You're getting nothing from us. We're going to spend everything. And I, we don't have a goal to do that. Let me say that. But we don't want them thinking, oh, we can just kind of, we never wanted them to think we can just kind of take it easy in life. And, you know, we'll get mom and dad's money. We don't, they're both very successful because they knew that wasn't an option. We never wanted that option being thought. And uh, yeah, they'll get, they'll be taken care of, but we want it to be, oh, wow, they didn't piss it all away, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but we told them that since they were like 10, we're yeah. going to spend this money like no tomorrow when we, when we die. Yeah, I'll get nothing. We told them that a thousand times. <laughs> it's what I, what I've come to learn about you just in the last hour that we've been talking when you see something you move on it so you saw bitcoin 2017 then you're mining it and you're you're like uh inventing and i did my first conference like that's what i was gonna say then the conference like i mean how do you go from all right i understand bitcoin in the hallway at a conference then have a coffee meeting with the guy next uh the next day then i'm mining uh zcash mining within a week (laughs) <laughs> within a week and then the conference yeah, within but, six months like yeah, uh it, is it this was within just, six months it's just the, this just the way you operate like there's a huge yeah. opportunity here there's a community being built around this thing i can actually yeah, i have a couple i have a couple of friends that when i see them and they introduce me to someone they'll say something like hey this guy if he sees something he's interested in within a week he's doing it as a business he doesn't right. like research it he doesn't like do plans he doesn't like sit down and figure out if it'll scale or not. He just starts doing it. And that's kind of what I do. I mean, I always laugh about that, but a real good friend of mine, that's all she ever says every time. You know, you must be into something new because I hadn't seen you in six months. What business are you running? <laughs> so so uh, but I do, I become... pretty much move on stuff when I see it. I don't sit back and uh, make, a, yeah, I don't do anything but start working on it. How'd you even go about putting together a conference? Like, uh, had well, you done had that before? Another, I had another conference uh, called podcast movement. I think oh, I still yeah. had it at the time. Yeah. Um, it was the, uh, it was, well, when I sold my share, I don't think COVID's changed it except the size. It was like, I sold my share. Maybe there were 3,500 people that year at the conference in Orlando that traveled across the U S every year. And it was the largest, uh, Bitcoin conference probably on the planet at the time. I mean, it's a big conference, 3,500 people. Podcast and, uh, so, conference. You mean? Yeah. 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 Called podcast yeah. movement. Yep. And uh, I sold my share of that. Uh, someone wanted to own some radio company, wanted to start uh, developing podcasts for radio stations, and they bought my share. They wanted 51% of the share. And there were four of us, so I sold online. It was a good offer, but I still had it at that time. So um, I said, but I had, there were four of us that did it, and I did the least of anybody. I just was the guy that had all the contacts. So I could just make phone calls and get sponsors. You know, where none of them, they all knew how to work hard, but they didn't know know the people. Basically, after the first year, they didn't need me at all. They could have, like, kicked me out and done fine. But, you know, we had a, I, we had a contract and everything. But I thought, hey, I, I've, done, I've done conferences. I'll do a Bitcoin conference. And so uh, a friend of mine, the friend who told me about Bitcoin, decided to get together and do a conference. 
And boy, we didn't know really in this situation, I was doing this stuff for a conference I'd never done before. We didn't know what we were doing, but I was calling my friends who ran the conference getting help. And the biggest thing about it is, you know, our first one we had Saif Dean had just written his book. And he said, sure, I'll come. I got to go. We're starting. I'm starting my book tour. I'll just swing through Dallas. We had Saif Dean and Pierre Rochard and Michael Goldstein. They were from Texas, basically. But Pierre, I think, was living in New York. But they said, hey, we'll come. And so we had um, a tour uh lived in uh, dallas so he said he'd come so we had a really pretty good lineup for not knowing what the hell we were doing and i didn't know that much about bitcoin i just knew that i was orange pilled pretty heavy i absorbed the i drank the kool-aid pretty heavily <laughs> uh, um we were having a hard time selling tickets but we had a great line and so um we had a guy, oh, it was a nightmare it was a nightmare disaster thing the guy where he was put, who had rented us a place to have it said, oh, I didn't think y'all really were going to do it. So I've canceled it. And so we had to go find a hotel like 30 days ahead of time. And we found a perfect hotel that was, I guess that hotel would have been 20,000 for the room, but it was only five because it was 30 days ahead of time, you know, because we wouldn't have paid the 20. And, uh, but we still hadn't sold Jack for tickets. And we had all these people come in we couldn't have a conference and have like 10 people in the audience. That'd be embarrassing. So we were out every night going to meetups, giving away damn tickets just to get people there. That was our goal was just to get people there. We were just wanting to fill the seats up. And uh, and we did, we filled it up enough. Everybody liked it. Everybody said, oh yeah, I'll have a big crowd. So evidently they, they were all happy and everybody liked the conference. And I got really at that conference because my speakers had a few, I think I had one guy that was speaking about some kind of shit coin there. And then I had a lot of maxis there and um, most so mostly maxis and i actually got orange pilled the most there by being with safe and michael goldstein and pierre richard and toward meister and all these people all weekend i actually that weekend said man this is just going to be a bitcoin conference screw this other stuff you know and that's when the next year it was definitely a bitcoin only conference and we even had a rule we don't even want you talking about in the audience about shit coins or someone to come over to you you know and say hey we're talking about shit coins so uh, we actually became a Bitcoin only conference at our conference. We just, we got orange pilled ourselves. And I think I was talk talking to, I can't remember, someone in San Antonio about it. We were talking about that first year conference and he goes, and, and someone else was there who had not been. He goes, yeah, Gary was at a conference and he was trying to, I think, decide which way to go. He was doing the conference, but he didn't know that he needed to be a Bitcoin conference or a crap coin conference or what. So he was just doing this conference. And every time people talk about Bitcoin, Everybody come in the room. Everybody, someone didn't talk about Bitcoin. They all leave the room. Yeah, you because know, the core, the Bitcoin maxis would, would come in and out, which I didn't notice, but uh, I mm. guess that probably was true now in hindsight. So it's funny. I didn't schedule any breaks, you know, because I was the person who scheduled the speakers ever in my conference. I didn't think about it. I scheduled thing up. Someone goes, when are we taking up, Gary? When are they get to your break and go to the bathroom or something? So, oh my gosh, I didn't take a break. I didn't have any breaks till like 12 o'clock when it was time for dinner. You know, so that was kind of funny. So I had to like change the schedule on the fly, you know, so but it worked out fine. Now, now I, I like last two years, I pretty much sold out. I'll sell out this year. I mean, sponsors are knocking on the door to be involved with. We've got a strong name because if people know they come to my conference and they're a Bitcoiner, it's a Bitcoin conference. I mm -hmm. mean, that's all it is. And I'm really strict about it. And I put on a good conference, if I say so myself. Uh, my events are um, like my, my dinners and stuff are expensive, which I admit, but um, I go all out. And, you know, I people go, wow, 
this barbecue was expensive tonight here for this dinner. I'm going, yeah, it's dinner cost me by the time I pay for the band, the open bar, the unlimited food spawn. I'm paying $40,000 tonight for this meal. It is expensive. You're right. I wish it was cheaper for me, you know, because, uh, you know, we rent entire venues, you right. know, to have the, the things that. So, you know, when you rent, like, in Austin this year, the places we're having, I'm renting the entire restaurant. You got to sell a certain amount of food. And I'm reading it for hours and hours. It's not like people are coming, new people paying. So um, they're used to like having, during that time period from six to uh, midnight, they're used to having people coming in fresh, people buying drinks all night long, you know, where I got the same people there, you know, over and over and over. So I got to pay for all those people that aren't drinking. People aren't drinking an average of four drinks every hour. They'd all be laying on the floor by midnight. You know, <laughs> they're drinking an average of one and a half to two, but I got to pay for the four. You know, because that's their normal amount they make. So it's expensive doing the parties that I do. But they're great parties, I think. I, I wish I would. This year, I plan to hire more people since I'm selling more tickets and have bigger sponsors so I can enjoy my parties this year because I haven't been able to before. How many people um, do you expect to be coming? Well, how many people at the last one? And how many people? The last one we had to? about 350. Um, and maybe a little bit more if you count sponsors and things like mm -hmm. that that came. We'll probably hit around 600 at this one. That's so cool. Austin's a lot more expensive than Dallas, where it's always been in the past. Now we're in Austin. Austin, like my uh, hotel is triple the price for all my things in the hotel, uh, for my conference room and stuff. And all the restaurants are a lot higher. So we went up on sponsorships pretty good a bit. I mean, a really big bit, but they're selling better than ever. So I probably should have gone up more. And I see mm -hmm. other things and I go, wow, I'm cheap really compared to other things. Um, but I feel fair that what I'm charging, they're selling well. And then I went up some on the tickets and then I added some more tickets. So I felt like most of the money came from, most of the increase was poured on the sponsors, but everything went up a little, even people attending paid and the amount of people coming increased. So I think that was a fair way to do it. Tickets are selling great. Um, so, yeah. So everybody's going to be happy. I think well, everybody trusts me. It's this. a lot more intimate than the, uh, the, the the one that's going down in Miami. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a lot more. That's not my deal. Mine will never. I never actually wanted mine to be as big as it'll be this year. But um, that one in Miami is going to be like 30,000 people. And it's, um, mine would never be that big. I, I Number one, I don't know that I could put off one that big do one that big um and handle it and do a good job and people not hate me for doing a bad job but uh yeah i like mine i want mine to become more like um a family reunion if that makes any sense you go gosh i gotta go i gotta see all the people i only see every year there and if and when people are at the event okay um i announce okay now tickets are on sale for next year and if you buy them now the price is super, 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 super reduced. I mean, it's not reduced. It's super reduced because I want that core coming back. Um, so they have like 48 hours to go ahead and buy their tickets at a super reduced price. And they've got to July of the next year. They've got eight months to cancel because, you know, they don't know what their schedules are the next year. So, I mean, it's like if you're coming, you really are crazy if you just don't buy it now because it's going to be like maybe it's a fourth of what it is now, you know, for the tickets because I want that core coming. Um, so most of the people who come, a large amount of them go ahead and buy their tickets right there. You know, so you see the prices on the website and people, I guess, could do math and go, well, gosh, if he's getting this, then that means 
that's how much that thing is tonight. But most of the people that go to that thing paid, you know, 25% of the price because they bought it at the event, you know? So um, I, I think I do a good job on it though. I think it's a good conference. I enjoy working in conference. I enjoy seeing all my friends every year there. Um, but it's, yes, yeah, nothing like Miami. That thing is, uh, that thing when you got thick, I, we did that book and one of the guys on the book was Pete Rizzo, who he's the editor for Bitcoin magazine. He said, they're going to have, told me they're going to have 30,000 people at that conference this year. Are you going? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I've already going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've definitely got my hotel room already. My wife, now my wife travels with me to conferences, you know, so um, anywhere I go, she just comes because she don't want to stay home by herself. So this will be, um, she's never been to a conference this big. Last year wasn't even this big though. I think it was only like ten or twelve thousand last year. But I think they learned a lot last year on things they did wrong. Because the second day they improved like the entrance compared to the first day. Because the first day the line was around a building, and I think people were waiting hours to get in. But they they realized, okay, we got to take care of that, and they took care of it the second day. People got in much quicker, and I'm sure now they've had all year to figure out how to handle thirty thousand people. They moved it to a bigger location. And then they have, uh, last year they had regular tickets and whale passes. This year they have whale passes, industrial passes, and regular tickets. And like the industrial passes are not as expensive as the whale pass, but you get to do a lot of the things the whale passes. I think the whale passes, you get like um, a phone number you can call and go, hey, how do I find this place? Or hey, where's the food at? Or hey, you know, someone that'll help you out. And I think they got golf courts car golf carts for the people mail passes so it must be a big damn area if they have golf cart service for those people i guess they come out of the building they just walk to a golf cart and say take me over to the bar take me over to dinner take me over to the other building yeah so it must be a I big imagine, campus that's on i imagine they've got uh, some some crazy parties lined up for those well passes as well but um anyway we, we should talk about the book because that's what uh, that's what we want yeah. to hear about uh yeah, we've been jabbering talk about that. anything though that's the problem <laughs> so the book how did this come about what was the uh, what was the main driver well jimmy, who was the main driver jimmy song put it all together he's done two right. of these book um well he did a little bitcoin book with alex gladstein and a bunch of other guys right and a book right. sprint right so mm -hmm. and, and then the bitcoin um, bitcoin thank god for book thank god thank, for bitcoin, yeah. thank god for bitcoin that was a sprint as well okay so he's done and, two and he was wanting to put together a third mm-hmm and um, he contacted me and said, hey, he didn't tell me what he said. Are you free November 26th through December 2nd or some day like that? I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, you want to, uh, I'm doing a book sprint. And would you like to be involved? And I was like, I told my wife, she goes, oh, yeah, you need to do that, which I was really kind of surprised at. But she was pushing me to do it. I said, OK, I'll come do it. Um, it was more than I expected, um, but it was, I'm glad I did it. But as Jimmy said, yeah, that's why he only does one a year. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> when you live in a house, basically with eight people in a house for a week, um, we had a duplex, both sides of the duplex. So we had a common area in the back. So it was like one house, just you had to go outside to go from one, some rooms to the other. Um, it's, it's really uh, quite an interesting thing. But yeah, I did it. I wanted to be involved. I've never done a book sprint. I do a lot of group books i may want to do a book sprint on the topic next year so uh, i was interested to see how it goes but jimmy ran the whole show he's done two of them he knew the scoop he got a lot of different variety of people uh, of all different backgrounds that had all different opinions and uh, 
we got together, uh, met each other and started working like within an hour after meeting each other. Um, it was what is it like quite... off to your rooms, come back with a chapter no, or a paragraph no, no, or like no, how, no. how, what was your remit? How, how did he split that up? Like you write about this, you write about that. You, I'm just trying to picture of what goes well, on. What we did house. is we all had post-it notes uh-huh. and we all sat down, some people on the floor, some in chairs, and we wrote uh, things about Bitcoin. Anything we could think of about Bitcoin, like someone might write flood, someone might put, you know, what money, someone might put um, life changing, just all these different topics, mining, blah, blah, blah. And we put all our, when we got through, we all went up and put them all on the wall, all these post-it notes. So the whole room was covered with different color post-it notes, according to what color you were given. It had no, no meaning. People ask me, have asked, I saw the pictures. Why were some red and blue? They had nothing to do with just the package of things he bought came in different colors. So then when we got all the post-it on the wall, which were hundreds of post-it notes, imagine eight people sitting there for 20 minutes writing topics. We grouped all the ones that we thought were the same. We just all walk around and go, oh, mining. Here's another mining. We grouped them all on top of each other to try to cut down the amount of post-it notes. Because we cut it down quite a bit because a lot of people are going to say the same thing. You know, FUD or, you know, this or that. And so then when we got those cut down, then we started grouping post-it notes into like categories, you know, like mining, um, uh, machines, uh, blah, blah, blah. So we ended up with eight categories that covered all this ones in this category where all the post-its that fit in that category. And then we named, okay, this category has got blah, 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 these different topics. What is this? This is everybody says, oh, that's about mining. Okay. This one's blah, blah, blah. That's about money. Okay. This one is about blah, blah, blah. And so they, we named them all. And then people just took a turn saying, which one do you want? And someone go, well, I want uh, FUD or whatever. I want mining. I want money. And then we all picked a category. And I think we got through with that at maybe nine o'clock at night the first night and we had till one o'clock the next day to write that chapter so we all wrote a chapter and we had to include all the post-it notes if possible in the chapter because uh, they were all about the same thing we had to make sure we covered all those post-it notes and then we met at one and um gosh it, it's just so much happened in such a short time but basically we started meeting once or twice a day and you would all get another person's chapter. Like I, my, I started with the, what is money. And then the next one I had was the, um, was Jimmy's chapter. I can't remember what it was now, which was chapter one, but it ended up being the opening, uh, thing. And so we all edited someone else's chapter and made whatever changes we wanted to make. And it wasn't like you put it in the note. If you saw something, you said, ah, I think this should be worded this way, or I think this needs to be added, or I think this needs to be taken out. You just did it. And then we met again, I'll talk, and then we all got another chapter. So when it was over, we'd all written a chapter and edited everybody's chapter. So every chapter had been edited seven times after being written. And so that was the point uh, that we got to that we had a group, uh, a reviewers group in a telegram, and we put it up on Google Docs for them to look at. And they left in review comments in the sides of things they thought we missed or things we they thought we shouldn't have or they did a lot of spelling corrections and grammar corrections, which we weren't looking for because um, we were going to do that at the end. And uh, so we went through each one of those going, he says we need to, Jane says we need to blah, blah, blah. Do we need to do that? We need to say yay or nay. 
and then we would do it. And so we did all that. That took quite a while. And then we got to the point that the whole book was written, basically. But we still hadn't gotten the name because that was the first thing we tried to do. And we couldn't agree on the name. Um, so we still didn't have our name. But then we, that took us till Friday, though, um, after the reviewers and we worked. And then we went at that day, we met at nine in the morning and went through every paragraph, one at a time, through the entire book. Uh, rewriting paragraphs where needed, removing stuff, adding stuff, until everybody agreed. All eight people had to agree before we could leave the paragraph and just, not on the chapter, just the paragraph, before we could go on to the next paragraph. And that was a tedious process, because like I said, that lasted about 3.30. I think I fell asleep at about 2.30. I mean, people were just nodding off. CJ and Jimmy and stayed and Charlene, they stayed up forever working on it. I think they were the, the ones that stayed up the, the longest, but I was asleep, so I don't know. It may have been someone else. Last time I looked over this, that's who I saw. You know, so um, then the next day, we went and worked on the um, summary at the end, and uh, had we had to have a vote on the name because we never could come into an agreement, and the majority rule would be the name of the book. And uh, that which was is uh, Bitcoin, the American dream. That what was the second choice? Or you can't you can't remember? Or, yeah, I or can. Yeah, yeah, I can. It's Bitcoin, the new American dream. Wasn't that big of a difference? Oh, okay. But that well, one word that caused that one word caused a lot of uh, <laughs> was right. was uh, so meaningful having it or not to have it that uh, we actually could never agree on whether to get rid of the word new or have the word new. So it wasn't like it was a big Which side of the fence were you on? Do you mind me asking or not? I voted. I just voted here, present. I voted present like they do in Congress. Right. I could go either way, and I could see both sides. I really could. Um, I could see both sides of the argument. So um, not that there was an argument. I don't want to say this. But I could see both sides of the conversation so well, I thought that I just, I couldn't pick one. I was like, you know, I'm fine either way. Either way this goes, I can see it and I'm fine with it. So um, I didn't vote. I was originally Bitcoin, the American dream. I do have to say that. But after six days, I was like, okay, I can go either way. It's uh, mm -hmm. I can see both sides. So it doesn't sound like much of a side, but there were a, a lot of conversations had about the new versus the and I'm, I'm hoping you're going to end uh, with like, uh, and then we had a stupid, great blow off top party <laughs> at the end of it and everybody got hammered and we had the best time. And we didn't have a chance. We worked so late. We were going to go on Thursday night. On Thursday Gary, night. Gary, you was, disappoint me. There was <laughs> a party Thursday night downtown Austin at this uh, on Rainy Street, which is like Party City Street. Nothing but clubs, old houses. And it was, um, they had gone through earlier setting up the restaurants to take sats on lightning yes. and showing them how. So we were going to go to that. On the OSHI app or something? Is that what it's called? Yes, or, yes, yeah, right, something yeah. like that. Okay. Yeah, and so I was going to go to that. Well, we were going to go to that. Several of us were going to go to that. And then we were going to get there at like eight. And uh, Jimmy said, hey, before we do anything, let's just do this one chapter. Because we had to read the whole chapter. And J Jimmy knew how much time it was going to take. We didn't, I guess. And so we started on, I think that's when we started on that, maybe. And... It was like nine and we just continued working. I think everybody realized at that time that we couldn't go take the night off or, or we would have never got through. I mean, literally we wouldn't have gotten through. So Jimmy was like smart because it was easy to say, hey, because we hadn't been out the house. I literally, 
uh, I get up and showered and up before anyone else did, I believe, every morning. So I would go out for a walk every morning. You know, like seven what, o'clock or something. Was like there that. a designated cook? Were you having food delivered? No, like, we did a lot. Of, Jimmy was the food guy. He took care of the food. Um, he would have food delivery. I can't remember what it is now. The company that brings food to your house. Uh, he'd call them, say, pick up some food. One day we had a plebe. You know, Jimmy put out, "Hey, would someone stop by this place and pick us up some barbecue?" And Jimmy, you know, is a carnivore. So we had. It was really kind of funny. We'd have okay today the barbecue. And the ribs, oh, this is like really spicy. And the next day, be like, oh, this is kind of, it was like, I'm going, man, it's just barbecue. It's all the same. It's all good. But I can't tell this big a difference from one of the barbecue meals to the next. Except one day we had what was called sweet cheeks, I think it was called. Have you ever heard of that? It's just no. the cheek of the cows. It's your cheeks. Right. And I don't know if I would have wanted to eat it if I knew what it was ahead of the time. I'd have been going, oh, that sounds kind of fishy, but it was so good. Yeah. So we had a plebe. Uh, we, uh, he posted on his page with someone stopped by Sweet Cheeks and picked this up and bring it to us. And so someone brought it to us. And then uh, people were doing, um, in the meantime, Jimmy, I think, must eat one meal a day, too, because he always ordered one big meal in the middle of the day of just meat, just meat. So everybody started ordering their own dinners and having them driven by, you know, driven by. So, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. I made some really good friends and uh, it was kind of mind opening to other people's ways of life, you know, because I grew up a lot differently, you know, growing up in the sixties and seventies, well, probably than anyone there, but uh, much more different than some of the people there. And uh, we, we just, you know, shared experiences just to, like you would for living with someone for six days. So it was kind of mind opening. And I made some really good friends. Um, it's like Lamar Wilson with back, black Bitcoin billionaires. Uh, he was my roommate. Um, it's kind of funny. Everybody got on the right hand side because that was the biggest one. It was like, oh, this is the place to be. And when Lamar and I got there late, you know, oh, y'all are on the other side. So it's kind of like, oh, we're, we're like the rejects. But we had the whole side to ourselves. You know, it wasn't a bunch of people on our side. It was I had the bedroom in the back. Lamar had the bedroom in the front. And the rest was the place. We had the best all. So in that case, it turned. So we we got to know each other real well. We were the only two in that half when we were working. And Lamar and I think, I, I don't think I'm going far to say we're pretty good friends now, you know. Um, so it, it was it was a good experience. Um, like, like I said, I agree with Jimmy. I wouldn't want to do it for another year. Now we also are planning. We just did a Kickstarter. And I think last time I looked, we were over 25,000 on that. We only wanted to raise 5,000, but that was to help um, pay for, we were getting a Kickstarter to try to help pay for the, um, Jimmy had paid for the duplex and the food, and we wanted to do a book release party in New York, in Washington, D.C., uh, or we are going to do it, so we're looking for a little help, and then we've done really way better than I ever expected, so in January, I think we're all trying to find the weekend now. We're going to do a book release party and invite senators and congressmen and staffers. So hopefully we can have a large variety. I don't know, maybe all staffers come because I think they just want to go to free parties because they just work their ass off for free. So they're looking for parties. But hopefully we can get some congressmen and senators because the book is written in a way that's not one-sided. I, I promise you, it's not one-sided either way. So I think anyone that reads is kind of, it's pretty middle of the road. It's not, uh, it's telling me the information without uh, making a liberal or conservative view of it. It's the information, it's the correct information. So I think the book was a good job. I think Jimmy, what he wanted to do was accomplished. 
you know, but I think that's why you picked that group because someone would say something to me that was so off the wall and Jimmy goes, well, that's why you're here. And they said, I'm sorry to say this, but I think this may sound crazy to you. And Jimmy goes, no, that's why you're here. We wanted that to you. And I'm going, yeah, that sounds crazy, you know? So, um, but then again, I'm super conservative. Yeah. Right. That was the old conservative guy there, you know? So how can the plebs help from, from this point on? What's the kind of uh, rallying cry that, uh, how do we help you get the message out there, get this thing across the line? Well, I think, like I said, by the time the, the Kickstarter ends tomorrow, so it's too late to help with the Kickstarter for sure. But the book will be released at the middle to the end of January. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, we'll have, I think the link will be bitcointheamericandream.com. So that'll take it right there. So I, I guess the best way would be sharing the um, book when it comes out, um, sharing it with people, buying a copy, uh, help support our efforts, because um, we still have to get it made into an audio book and uh, things like that. Plus, we want to throw, we want to get people at the event in DC. And I think we'll be mm -hmm. selling tickets to that even, I think. Because um, I know that was one of the Kickstarters was to get a copy of the book signed by all eight of us and a ticket to the event. But we want to make that the kind of event that uh, is going to draw people that we want there. Because it's nice to have staffers there. So maybe that staffer will get the book and read it and get orange pilled. And then all of a sudden, the senator they work for, or the congressman they work for goes, what in the world is this Bitcoin thing about? Can anyone help me here? And they go, yeah, I know all about it. So that's an angle, you know, by yeah. educating them. Then And they kind of would look at it as like, hey, this is a chance to make myself more useful to my senator that I'm working with, you know, to help me out, move up the, the status line within the in his world. So but it would be even better, though, if we could actually get, you know, more senators and congressmen there to actually orange pill them. Like I've been spending some time in in Texas at the Capitol, you know, and I've got a senator down or a congressman down there. I've orange pilled. And he's orange pilling people. So I'm working really highly with him trying to get that going. So this book will be good for Washington, D.C., but it'll also be good for state capitals. So if you live in a state and you know someone who's in politics, this would be a good book to buy just to give them if you want to help orange pill people. And that's what the book's for. So mm -hmm. if you buy it and give it to someone who's involved in politics, then you've helped the book all you can help it. That's the main thing you can do. So like I said, that's purpose of it is to answer their questions and it's not like a thick book you know it's like the meat of it it's not thick at all i can't remember the pages but someone could read it in a day and a half you know type thing it's not like oh, i gotta read this book for a whole week you know they could skim right through it senator lummis out of wyoming she's written the forward force and she's pretty middle of the road you know she was she's a republican senator but her husband was a democrat senator mm -hmm. you know so she knows how to evidently step across the, the line and work both sides. <laughs> um, so uh, that's the main thing, though, is, you know, if we can get the legislative people knowing what Bitcoin is and what it really is and what it can do and how it can help people out and how it's not a threat to the United States dollar, it's not going to the dollar is not going anywhere anytime soon. When you first get orange pill, oh, the banks are going out of business and the dollar, that's not happening anytime soon, you know. Um, but if you can keep, you know, it's like the internet, you know, when the internet started, they decided to leave it alone. 
you know, not mess with it and let it develop and everything. And look what we got. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's to a degree just all messed up now, but we still got this communication tool that you and I are talking. We couldn't have done this before, you know, before the internet and all these things. So if we can just keep them from making mistakes and messing with something they don't understand and then going, oh, this isn't a big thing that we need to be scared of. You know, that's the best thing that we can do. And that's how I think the book comes across. This is a good thing, not a bad thing. Don't be scared of it. Don't think that it's going to take down world governments. It's not just criminals using this thing for drug money or um, bombers using this so they can spread their disinformation or what they believe is the correct information. This is a just a tool, you know, just code, you know. So Yeah, it's very cool. And um, yeah, let's hope it, well, I'm looking forward to getting the book in my hands. You know, I, I devour these books whenever they come out. So I'm looking forward to that one when it comes out. And I think we did a any, good job. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. If there are any plebs listening in Washington that uh, that can help you out, then where can they reach you? What's the best way to to reach out and say, yo? Uh, I would say I would say touch base with Jimmy on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, which he's Jimmy Song on Twitter at Jimmy Song because he's like the uh, captain of the ship. Right. Uh, I know that we're looking for a location now for the party um, in D.C. So if we have any plebs in D.C. that know a great location or know someone that runs a great location that can help us out for the party so that our, our money would go further and we can have, because, you know, a location can cost you a ton mm -hmm. just to have a good location. Then you don't have any money left to, you know, uh, do entertainment or food or drinks or things like that. It's like uh, C.J. Wilson and Amanda uh, Chevron. They're up there all the time on their own dime. They're co-authors working in D.C. trying to get the word out about Bitcoin to these people. So they were great to have as part of the book because that's what they're doing now. And this book will be a great tool for them. I, I can't help but think they were really excited about the book because they're going, oh, when this gets through, we have a tool that we can give to staffers, you know, that we meet you know, wherever it is. But like I said, while the book was written for DC, this book is good for anybody in government that's in state government, city government. It's a great book as a tool. So it's not a DC book only. It's a government educational book. You know, like I'll probably buy a ton of copies just to give away, like to mm -hmm. my local, to my mayor here, because I've been trying to get him them into Bitcoin, take down with me to Austin, to the capital down there. So it's uh, i think it's going to be a a nice tool in our in our belt yeah perfect and it, it leads right into the last question which is if you had one orange pill left to give to somebody who would you give it to and why oh wow i never thought about that one orange pill left um i would i don't know oh gosh I mean, you should pretty good. I'll, I'll need a second. Let me get a sip of water here while I, I waste time <laughs> thinking. Okay. A good old sales trick. You know, I usually don't say that's a good question because I feel that's just a stalling technique so people can think. But I did on this case and I'm still talking, which is another stalling technique. <laughs> All your old skills are coming back, Gary. You're, you're, you're... <laughs> I probably would give that to Janet Yellen. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's what i would give it to uh it would be nice to have someone from the fed in our corner um instead of saying oh i mean because she never says anything positive so that would be nice 
And then uh, Bitcoin sign guy, we could get a picture of them together with his uh, sign. <laughs> yeah. I want to see that picture. The Bitcoin sign guy. Janet comes full yellow. circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and then uh, he's holding that uh, yeah. that uh, <laughs> yellow uh, ledger with the by Bitcoin on it. That would be the best picture ever. Like the pair of them, both hands on the uh, the yellow uh, kind yeah. of uh, notepad with the, with the original. Yeah, that would be yeah. that would, and and a fully peeled Janet Yellen. I wonder if he still has that original because I know he's made more. He could auction that off for sure, man. If that was the original, could you imagine how much someone yeah. would pay for that? He had. In San Francisco, uh, during Bitcoin 2019, he had gone in partners with someone and made 21 of them. Nice. Done it. And they they were the notepads folded over just like his was, and they were all framed super nice. And it was one of 21, two of 21, three of 20. And, I, and don't hold me to this, but I think, I think they were one Bitcoin each. Wow. And Bitcoin, and Bitcoin was around $8,000 at the time. So don't hold me that it might have been a tenth of a Bitcoin, but I think it was one Bitcoin each and sold all 21 of them. So uh, I guess he's not like sending those around you know, for free. <laughs> it's still the best video clip ever. It it's is. Just... <laughs> and he's such a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to track him down and get him on the show. That'd be great to, uh, great to chat with him. Yeah. All right, Gary. Well, I think we've covered everything we wanted to cover there, especially about the book. Um, congratulations, by the way, on being Thank part you. of that. I think it's um, great work. It, you know, we, there's, there's we, more content, right? We say it all the time, more content. And uh, for any plebs out there listening, if you've got that article in you, just just write it, get it out there, ship it. Um, and, uh, you know, I tell you, just do it. If you got something you want to do, just do it. I mean, gosh, you know, you're, you're not going to be great at anything you do right off the bat. And no matter what you do, when you look at it a year later, you're going to go, boy, that sucked. <laughs> yeah, you because know, you because you know so much more and you're so better much better yeah exactly you know, it's, it's like podcasting always i find i had people who waited forever to start their first podcast oh, i'm still trying to I said, yep, just that do was the me. damn thing yeah in a year me. your first one's going to suck when you hear it a year later you go that was terrible so get yep. that out of the way because you can't start improving until you start doing and then people start helping you right because when when other people see you putting yourself out there they just get naturally drawn to you know being part of the story and wanting yeah. to help and before you knew it a big shout out to adam adam woodhams like he must have like uh battled his way through the first five to ten episodes and then just finally dm'd me he's like man you need some help with audio like it sucks <laughs> you got you need a jingle you need some starting music you need this you need a better mic and he just ironed me out uh, but like, you know you amazing. didn't you didn't you didn't sit back and go i can't start yet because i don't have that jingle or i don't have a lot of people right. do i don't yeah. have that better mic i don't have yeah. this so i can't start you know see that's the hold of a lot of people have they just can't start because they know it's not perfect well, it's never going to be perfect Mm -hmm. and even if you think it is you'll find out a year later it wasn't you know so but so yeah that's the thing is you got to start a lot of people have a hard time with that starting and getting it going but yeah that was uh so yeah so you don't wait around you can go ahead and start yeah and congrats yeah. with um with the conference man like i said in our dms i really want to get over there one year uh hoping the restrictions are going to get lifted so many euro plebs are sitting on the sidelines waiting like when is this iron curtain around the US going to lift so we can get to Miami, we can get across to Dallas? As so many people want to move to Austin, they just yeah. want to be there. They want to be part of it. And it's well, not I just the Bitcoin it. thing, right? It's it's like uh, everything that's going on there. The mining is huge there. The um, the beef initiative is huge there. Uh, you know, your conference is there. 
uh, Unchained are there and so many other great companies. Uh, I just can't imagine living in many of these places where I see on TV that they can't go anywhere without a mask. They have to wear a mm. mask to go in a restaurant or, I mean, here, you just walk around. I never see a mask hardly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, really, I mean, uh, it's been that way for a year. I mean, you know, so it's, I just couldn't live and I just can't imagine that it's that tied down there. But you guys, you're in the UK, right? Uh, we're actually based in France. France. Okay. Well, yep. I hear France right now is great to go to. I have people with their friends of mine going, it's great here. It's pretty open and there's nobody there. You can go to the tourist attractions. No, That's you've got to, you've got to have these passes, man. You've got to have uh, the no. QR codes to do anything. Uh, if you want to get into a restaurant, you've got to have the QR code. If you want to do any, it's, it's Oh, nuts. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah here there's nothing. Nuts. And they still, you still have to wear a mask if you want to go into the supermarket uh, and they've just tightened again and it looks as though it, it everybody in europe now is just on like high alert for they're going to lock us down in january at, across um, all of the countries are just going to start out uh, and it's a shoe-in for the nation state because they know no one wants to go back to work and they know people like free money so what, sure, greater, what greater month to do it january yeah. it's pissing rain it's cold nobody wants to go back to work so they'll just uh, and people are going to go for it again i guarantee you like these people that just want to draw this thing out it's uh yeah we've got some weird times ahead the next six to nine months here uh, and a lot well, of a lot of the euro plebs are going to be making some big decisions it's crazy it's just crazy it's so restrictive in places because to me i would think they would see examples of like texas and, and i'm talking in the u.s here mm -hmm. anyway maybe but they see examples like texas and florida where we basically don't have anything mm -hmm. i mean they've even passed rules that you can't make where kids wear masks in school i mean it's like a law you can't make them they can right. if they want and and we don't have any problems here less problems than they do in other places because i guess everybody got it already mm -hmm. and got it over with so mm -hmm. you know when they were open up other areas they all get it real bad because they never got the thing mm -hmm. and now i think the hospitals can handle it and this new one they say it's not that bad but they're they're treating it it's probably not even as bad as the flu from what i understand no you know but they're it treating it like it's the same thing as before it's, it's crazy there's so much weird political bs caught up in all of this kind of stuff um it's just a weird weird place to be and a lot of euro plebs would be on the plane uh into america but like america has like the the no vaccination rule so you know uh, that's right but you know you can uh well you all they have to do is fly to mexico and then they can just walk right across right <laughs> that's, that's that's the way to do it <laughs> all right fly into a border town just walk across <laughs> done done we will we, we will bring uh yeah with, with our words in our heads yeah 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 for Ab sure for sure absolutely all right, Gary. Well, really great to get to know you, and I look forward to meeting you very, uh, very soon. Hopefully, fingers crossed at one of these conferences. Yeah, if not, you're by right. August, they've like opened up. Yeah, let's hope. I think so. they'd have fingers to. crossed. I don't know how many boosters they can come up with for the finally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're on booster number eighty. They got to be going. You know, we've got yeah. you covered on everything that you could think of. Yeah, you might think people would start asking some questions, but we will see. Maybe not. Not if they're getting free money. <laughs> no. All right, man. Well, you have a great uh, afternoon. Hey, I enjoy meeting you and your daughter. Thank you so much. Take care, Bye. brother. Bye. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Gary, again, for giving up your time and coming on the show. It was great to hang out with you, get to know you a little bit better. And uh, 
have some laughs with you. I, I love the old stories, I really do. And you, you've got a ton of them. So I look forward to sitting down in a bar one day with you uh, or a steak restaurant, wherever we might be, not drinking $350 bottles of red wine. It's uh, just a, you know, a humble beer. That'll be more than, uh, more than enough and sharing some more of these stories. And thanks for everything that you're doing for the space and what a great project that you guys have put together with the book, Bitcoin, the American Dream. Go check it out, plebs. I can't wait for this one to drop and uh, you know, learn about what these guys have been writing in that house. It sounds like a great time. Thanks again for coming on. Now, before we close this one down, please, guys, make sure you are showing support to the show sponsors and stacking. Please make sure you are stacking. All the links are in the show notes, and these companies can help you stack. They have your best interest at heart. Believe me, these are not bad actors. You've got Swan Bitcoin in the US. Make sure you are hitting those guys up. You've got Coin Corner across Europe and the UK. You've got Relay across Europe and the UK. You can now squeeze in via Revolut, I believe. You can join all of the Telegram groups for these for these guys. They'll you know they'll help you out. Believe me, like I said, they've got your back. You got Bitcoin Reserve, they're new on the block out of Europe. They're helping you stack with their flash service or with their concierge service. That's white glove. Take control of your coins with shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten saves you 5% on their Bitbox 2 wallet. And if you want to get to the conference, use the code bitten or hit the link in the show notes and save yourself 10%. Like I said, all links are in the show notes for all of these companies. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you on the next show.